Friends and folks, I'm dropping it atop here to give you some spoiler warnings for this category. For best character, you have to worry about spoilers for Alan Wake 2, Armored Core 6, Gunbuster, Library of Ruina, Mobile Suit Gundam UC Engage, and Osama Sentai King Oger. If you're like, hey, what parts of this? Just assume we're going to spoil everything. That's just, we're probably going to spoil everything. Or at least the thing you care about, specifically. Anyway, please enjoy the show. friends and folks, and welcome to Scanline Media's 2023 Gimmick Awards, our celebration of the year and media we've experienced in 2023. I'm Six Detmar. I'm Jennifer Uncle. And I'm Kyrie Page. And today we're here to talk about the best character. This is a category that we've traditionally split um, into best game and anime character. And uh, why? So this year it's one category. Yeah. And boy, what a category we have before us. Yeah, part of the fusion means we have a healthy list of nominees. We are from this list of nominees, we are looking for one winner and two runners up, though we can flex the number of runners up if necessary, but only if necessary. Jen, can you read our list, please? Sure thing. We have Xiao from Library of Runa, Luke from Street Fighter Six, Halara Nightmare from Raincode. Or Master Detective Archives ring code. Um, Temenos Mistral from Octopath Traveler 2. Ire from Armored Core 6. As well as uh, 5 Mark IV Rusty. It, it, did I get that right? No, but it's fine. Just call him Rusty. Rusty. Okay. Carlac from Baldur's Gate 3. James Savage from El Paso Elsewhere. From Gunbuster, we have Noriko Takaya and Young Freud. Uh... From Osama Sentai King Osher, we have Jeremy Brassieri and Rita Kenesika. From Free Room Beyond Journey's End, we have Free Room. From Alan Wake 2, we have Saga Anderson, the Koskala Brothers, and Alex Casey. From Vinland Saga, we have Askeladd. From Fate Samurai Remnant, we have Saber. From Mobile Suit Gundam UC Engage, we have Pish Montag. And from Warhammer 40,000 Dark Tide, we have Female Fanatic Zealot. Uh, female Fanatic Zealot, uh, pretty much an instant cut. However, kind of one of the main reasons that game is enjoyable is this Scottish lady shouting about how happy she is to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Just having a big old time the entire time that you're killing all these what do you kill yeah. in that game? Uh, people. Well, now. <laughs> These video games are getting sure are violent, huh? <laughs> it's, it's getting fucked up. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know, Jen. I don't know how I feel about you playing these video games. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I won't do anything. Okay, you're not allowed to move anymore. You can't do anything. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I have what like I would like. I'll talk about the uh, the uh, King Oger characters because that was the like I was the one who watched that show this uh-huh. year. Um, and by the nature of Sentai characters, they're going to be pretty shallow. So I don't know if either of them will necessarily make. Like, we'll be in the conversation, but I do want to name-check them, at the very least. Uh-huh. Um, first, uh, Rita Kaniska. Um, this, I mostly wanted to name-check them, because this is the first, like... Besides being a really cool Sentai character with a really, like, incredible suit design and motif, like, they're the... Um, they are the judge of this land of ice, and they pass judgment on and use their sword as a gavel um which wouldn't be very good for the sword mind you but you know um but it is also the first canonical non-binary super sentai character and i think that's worth something like for a show as established as super sentai like it's listen i'm not gonna like seek representation from a show like this but i think it is cool to have them involved and they are just a genuinely great character to have um in the show um very funny in terms of like the super stoic character with the exception of being obsessed with this like fluffy white toy named mafun which is turned into a show in the show mm-hmm. um but Rita can go. I do want to talk about Jeremy Brasseri real quick, though. Okay. So the first quarter of the show, there is this, you know, there's a narrator. You've heard of narrators before. Very rarely do the narrators at some point get a little fed up with the show itself and become characters central to the narrative. Or maybe not necessarily fed up, but like... For the first, like, decent chunk of the first, like, major arc of the show, you have this, you know, detached voice narrating the events, like, mostly just doing the opening narration, um, and just having a little bit of flourish, you know, like, ending all their sentences, like, all their, you know, monologues with, or so the story goes, or something like that. But then he just kind of shows up as a character who is like, over a thousand years old, who has basically rewritten the prophecies that these characters are thinking about, which is the legend of the King Oger itself. Like, but the thing that's, like, really special about him is, one, like, his design is just, like, suit design and costume design is really incredible. It does Um, look really cool, yeah. Yeah. Um, I could post a picture real quick of his suit design or it is a it is a spider themed but i don't think it's realistic enough to that it'll uh, uh bother jen yeah there you go uh yeah but the thing about him is that like his morphic device and his um like you know how in 
these sorts of toka shows they have like the thing calls out like words and phrases like his theme is about narrative and about how much of a liar he is and how that gets him into trouble as well like many of the characters at one point say jeremy please stop being like stop beating around the bush just say what you mean um and i think that's like really charming to like have a character dynamic of he has so much that he wants to tell people and so much to say and just can't because he's like, well, that would make the story boring. And it's like, dude, we need you to just tell you, tell us what you're feeling. Uh-huh. Um, I like him a lot. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good costume. And like the thing you described uh, with, the narrator suddenly joining the story. I've seen that kind of thing before, but I always like it when I see it. Yeah. Like, it's it's not new narrative ground, but I do love... It, it also it plays into the idea that, like, in King Oger, the the core six characters of the Sentai group are not necessarily always agreeing or working together with one another. Uh-huh. Um, and so he will, like, because he is, like, there's this evil faction of bug people known as the bug Narok. He is half bug Narok. That is one of the key plot points. And, you know, you're like, oh, where does it, where do his allegiances actually lie? And it's like simple, it's simple stuff. But like, I thought I found it like really engaging. And again, just that moment of him doing the closing narration to an episode and then just being like, but I think there's more to this story to tell. And he shows up. It's like, oh, I see where we're going now. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I think... Like, uh, like Sentai characters, and like, like, like I would say, you know, Kamen Rider or, you know, Ultraman, like a lot of tokusatsu that sort of suited tokusatsu, right? Because it can also refer to, you know, very different stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they're characters that, that do deal in, like, tropes, for sure, and cliché. But they also, like, are just, you know, characters of such extreme, like, emotional exaggeration and flourishes that it's like, that. I don't think that's a problem. You don't need this to be like, oh, I've never seen a character written like this for them to be really charismatic. Oh, yeah. And the actor who plays Jeremy is also really charismatic as well. Like, he was already, like, basically accomplished as, like, I don't know if he's done voice acting before, but, like, just being the narrator for this show, it was like, oh yeah, he just has a really excellent, like, way of delivering prose, and then he carries that same energy into the show itself. Um, I think his actor is, like, fairly good. I think the acting in King Oger, just in general, is pretty good, but, like, Jeremy's actor is a standout, for sure, not just because of how sometimes Sixth Rangers in these shows tend to show up and then steal the thunder from everyone else um it's more than that yeah it doesn't really seems like someone who should stay on the list for now i think so too like i would like to keep jeremy on the list for now um we can cut uh peche Montagne. um i'm not gonna say on here as a joke because that's not quite true but um I don't know that Pesce is a good character. Pesce is just extremely a character, and I like that. <laughs> um, is Pesce the character that is in the background of, 
like that a Gundam mobile game, or am I thinking? Yeah, the one, and also the one that we have a a, a, a emote for on our server that no one ever uses because no, because I just installed it without telling anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you've ever used it either. I think oh, I, I have. I have. I think I used it once by accident, and then it was like, oh, actually, this is a pretty good emote. Um, so. Peche is here because, so, okay, when you make a licensed tie-in game, right, there are kind of, there, are, and, you're, and you're able to write your own story for it. There are two ways to go about it, right? Mm -hmm. There's one approach, which is like, okay, how do I work with the established canon and try and create, like, a thing where it's like, you see this side story, and you're like, gosh, maybe that was happening, you know, just off screen, off to the side. This fits in very nicely. This ties together with the world really in a really cool way. And it enriches my experience, but doesn't raise any weird questions or anything, right? Um, And then there's the second style, which is like, oh boy, they're gonna pay me to write fanfic? Oh my <laughs> god, they're gonna pay me to put my OC in here? They're Fantastic. out of their minds. I'll love it. Uh, and especially Montanyu, because she is such a fucking Mary Sue, it's unreal. <laughs> From what I recall, you said that basically she is, as you put it, the on the right side of every conflict in several major arcs in, like, Gundam. So, you know, so far, I mean, they're going through the story chronologically, so far up through Unicorn. She's just always off screen and the best friend of whoever's right. <laughs> yeah, and it's like it that's normally not such a, an unusual thing for other sorts of stories and franchises, but for Gundam where the team of who's right and who's wrong consistently changes between shows and sometimes but in the middle of seasons themselves, uh it it's a weird thing to just have someone that's so consistently like yeah, I'm the good person all the time. And also just always, like, as far as, like, presence in plots, no, like, the, the her game rewrites the story of those games to make her probably the most important person in all of UC, right? Because, mm -hmm. like, oh, this is, like, she's, like, like a, a student that Char had a lot of hope for during the one year war. And then during Zeta, she's like brainwashed to fight for the Titans, but she breaks free and she goes to work for, you know, like Char under like Axis drop and Axis is like, like does like Char does his famous speech in Char's counterattack. And then in this show steps off stage and is like, what do you think? Pesce? It's like, what do you guys. think? My best friend. <laughs> It's just, like, over and over and over, and it's so silly. And then you get the rest of her backstory, which is she's a clone of the first cyber new type. Okay. So, in this game, uh, this is actually a bit of lore that I do think is kind of cool. Um, there is a lady who is who is researching new types, and she was like, I bet I can make a new type, right? Mm -hmm. That's how that's how you get cyber new types. But she was like, and if I'm gonna do it, I mean, listen, fuck everybody else. I want to be a new type, and she made herself a cyber new type, and she became a sicko, right? Sure. Um, and the best part of this is, so they close pet clone, they clone her, and make Peche, and Peche is a natural new type, and so they cloned the fake and got a genuine. 
And the dynamic there, when it starts to come up, which is pretty late in the story, but I've done some reading, is actually really cool. Huh. Uh, but, I mean, she's not a good character. She's just a lot of a character, and that's really funny, so she's cut. But it's <laughs> wild that they, that like, not that, that, not that, you know, a work would do this, but it's that they would do this after how they've treated Gundam so far, right? Mm-hmm. Where, like, again, it's like you have, like, I... It was already pretty bold of them to do Code Fairy, and Code Fairy was like, make sure we're never in line of sight of any character from any show, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that we don't, so we don't break canon. Um, and that has not been the approach here. That's pretty funny. Yeah, all told, it's <laughs> good. All right, Jen, you should pick someone to talk about. Okay. Um, Temidus Mistral, an Octopath Traveler 2. Great fucking character. Like, uh, this is a game where you have eight protagonists of sorts, each with their own unique story. And, uh, an Octopath of characters. Yes. I don't know. Sorry, go on. <laughs> Something like that. And Temidus Mistral is an Inquisitor for the Order of the Sacred Flame. Um, which means that, um, He's basically played as this sort of fantasy Sherlock Holmes to some degree, where he's going around solving mysteries and uh, roping people in. But also, he has that Inquisitor side to him, where he can just... (laughs) This is one of the rare games where you play someone who... Where the anti-hero, the anti-part is very... is, Is basically bolded and underlined, because... You just get your information by breaking people mentally with your conversations. <laughs> you you go full on. The Inquisitor title is not uh, like Dragon Age, where they're just using it as a cool name. Um, here, you're basically acting like an Inquisition, and uh, he's such an interesting character because he is. He basically takes to this one um, person that's like a knight several levels underneath his level of Inquisitor, um, named Crick, and basically uses him as his um, investigative assistant. The thing is, uh, Temenos just loves to ask questions about uh, their religion itself and just think about it in different ways, and uh, that always freaks out Crick, just being like, what you're saying is sacrilege right now, don't you know that? And... <laughs> Temenos all but says, you know, I'm an Inquisitor, right? Like, I I just know this shit, and I can think about this from a critical level. Also, there is very much some sort of uh, gay subtext going on between the two of them, because Temenos, very fruity for an Inquisitor. Kind of love him for that. I th- and I think, like, I didn't play enough Octopath 2. I really want to play more. Um. Back when I was playing it, I was playing it on Steam Deck through Family Sharing. Um, Steam Deck Family Sharing is really inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've realized why that is, finally, is I think what it's doing is it's contact... Like, if you authorize a machine for Family Sharing, 
I don't think you can do that on a Steam Deck. So what it's doing is trying to contact a machine that you have authorized it and like sort of pseudo tether to it. And that's why it's being so weird. That's my theory. Well, also Octopath Traveler 2 is one of the rare games that uses an a rarely used Steam Deck feature where this is something they promoted before the Steam Deck came out. But uh, what you can do is you can start a game either on the deck or the PC, put the put the deck to sleep, and they just resume from the computer. Hmm. Well, I didn't have a computer that could probably run it at the... Well, actually, probably it could have. It's not a super demanding game, but I didn't try. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, I was having inconsistent access, and so I didn't get super far. I did a couple of characters, uh, like beginnings. I only barely started Temenos. Um, with the strength of the characters that I had seen, if Temenos is the standout, that speaks very highly of Temenos to me. Yeah, I, I definitely think he's the standout amongst the rest of them. Also, he's 30. Hey, that's great. <laughs> that he is. A bunch of fruity 30-year-olds talking about a fruity 30-year-old. <laughs> Sorry, I had nothing to contribute. <laughs> <laughs> You're so valid for that one, friend. Um, <laughs> I... Hmm. Hmm. I think we should cut Luke. Yes. But I do want to talk a little bit about Luke. Mm -hmm. Um. And to be clear, a lot of this, I think, like... Luke in Street Fighter V was a terrible fucking character. Like, abs like just the worst. Like, the moment he's announced, here's this greasy guy who is like, oh, I'm a PMC, but also I do MMA, and I, like, so desperate to, like, Street Fighter V Luke felt desperate to be cool, and then uh -huh. in Street Fighter VI, like, the writers at, you know, for Street Fighter VI were like, no, what if we just turn him into the biggest dork possible and that actually makes him charming and endearing? Um, it has helped that, like, Luke's English voice actor is so enthusiastically, like, you know, championing the character in, you know, participating in silly bits. And I think that's a lot of, like, where a lot of people's affection come from it. But it helps that in Street Fighter Six, he is just this, like, he is this dork that is just trying to like teach these kids how to do a Hadouken in the story mode. Um, and there's something like kind of charming to that. Like he is leaning into being cringe and that makes him free. And he, he totally fumbles one of his two students, like about as, about as bad as you can, because one of his two students is basically Sasuke from Naruto, who's here uh -huh. to get power for revenge. And he's like, just, just travel the world, bro. Make some friends. And he's like, this, after months of training with you, this is what you fucking got. I'm leaving. And he's like, yo, bro, calm down. Calm down, dude. <laughs> Go out there and hit the streets. <laughs> Here, like... here's five dollars. Get a Red Bull. You'll feel better. <laughs> like he's, that's just who this guy is, and it's very he's he's a charming little like dumb puppy. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, and it's like like he's um fun to mess with mechanically, but also just like 
you know, the strength of his voice lines are like, it's, he's a lot of fun. He's not particularly deep, but it is like, it is funny how they have turned like the greasy edgelord style character from Street Fighter V into this like golden retriever of like a, of a fighting game character. Mm-hmm. We smoke, baby. God, did you see that bit where Alex Lee's uh, like was on like a local television station and he had just a picture of Luke in his wallet? <laughs> he showed it off to the camera. I did not see that. <laughs> um, but yeah, Luke can go, but it is just like I, I mostly wanted to like point out the the turnaround that this character had and yeah. how he's like now like fun and charming. Rather than greasy. I'm probably comfortable cutting the Koskala brothers. Um, they're a really fun part of Alan Wake 2. Um, they're basically Ilmo and Yako Koskala, um, two Finnish brothers uh, who live in this American town that uh, they're basically... If you thought about Benjamin Horn from Twin Peaks, only just like they don't have that much money and they're more just like just working on whatever their latest angle is. Um, they have TV ads throughout the game where they're talking about like, oh, these other tourist companies, they won't go to protected lands like we will because fuck the government. <laughs> and uh, they also open this... Uh, they open this theme park called Coffee World, and basically most of the attractions and souvenirs and treats are based on coffee. And they learn the hard way that you do not feed a dog coffee. And uh, they just have this really comic energy to them, but the more you get to know them, the more you find out that they're pretty central to the entire mystery that Saga is looking into. And... Uh, it's also surprise it's also surprisingly hurts when Yako ends up uh biting it and Ilmo has to more or less grapple with the fact that uh the person that uh the police are protecting more or less took care of I more or less killed his own brother. There's even this bit like when you go to the other basically into the dark place where there's a suddenly a new final ad for them where they're basically reviewing a hardback novel and Ilmo the whole time is just instead of reviewing it like a normal person would he's just describing like oh this is made from the finest grade of paper and I love the quote on the back of the of the book and just turns to someone off camera being like oh how about you and you just see a void where his brother would be. It's this brilliant moment that combines both. It's incredibly funny and sad at the same time. And that is an impressive feat. So I like them a whole lot, but also there are more impressive characters in the game and also on this list. That's fair. I, uh, I am going to have to play at least some Alan Wake 2 before we do Game of the Year, even though same. it seems like something i'll have difficulty playing yeah the the jump scare stuff is a shame because like it 
other than that, I feel like it's pretty effective at everything it's doing. Um, I think we can probably cut uh, Carlock from Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, Carlock is, is probably my favorite character in that game as far as I've gotten, which is not crazy far. Um, mm. But also, there's it's very much just like a bunch of, you know, PC RPG party members. I think Carlock's story is is fun and enjoyable. She is a tiefling, which means there are people who are like genetically like based at one point in time from like demons or devils. I think I don't know. There's a there's a distinction in D and D that I don't remember. Um, but at this point, they're just you know they're just people, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but she was like kidnapped and raised as a soldier in like one of the armies of like a, of a of a like a devil queen and this is where you get like one she's just really fun to be around she's like she's really like she's flirty and energetic and angry um and part of the reason she's angry is because they use an interesting bit of the D&D setting from like way back when that people don't talk about anymore you go back to like second edition and like those books just have so much lore in them right mm -hmm. um and so uh carlock is an interesting take on a uh, on a um berserker right on a uh, barbarian right which is a class that i usually think fucking sucks like not like it's underpowered that's not true but it's just like oh yeah you just you're powered by your <laughs> savagery and i'm like this sucks man yeah. yeah, it's one of those character types where people can make it work, but the base is a poisoned well that uh, writers have to really go out of their way to fix. And um, that, you know, it, it all centers around, like, the ability to go into a rage and stuff, right? Um, and the secret of making Carlock work as a barbarian is they took a piece of old, you know, second edition lore which is a thing called an infernal engine, right? Mm -hmm. So you go into like those old monster manuals and stuff and it's like, oh yeah, the armies of hell, they have these like, they're the like big knights of, of the hell army and here they're huge war machines and their war machines are powered by an infernal engine, which is just like a little device that holds a bunch of souls that are captured in there and eternally suffering in fire, right? Right. Uh, it's like it's like what if you know the fiery pit of hell was like about the size of like a thermos, just really compact. Huh. Um, <laughs> you can fit so many souls in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the way they made her a berserker was they were like, oh, she's she's really uh, she's really good at her job. She'd be better at her job if she was, like, powered by, like, infernal hate, right? So they just ripped out her heart and put one of those in there. And it's just like, yeah, I just, the you know, having a pocket hell in my chest just sort of radiates a lot of anger, and I just have to do something with it. It's like, that's extremely fair. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it's and a there is cut, that's for sure, like say this was like second edition stuff i think i think so yeah i mean like it's been a long time since i looked into the shit it is not stuff people talk about anymore um and it's also really i think well implemented in the game like the first time you have a conversation with her about her infernal engine is uh she has just like finished dealing with some people who 
they were sent by like her her former like you know owner basically right that that devil queen right mm-hmm. who's like she sends these two uh, it's like five whatever a group of uh human like knights to go get her and they're pretending to be like oh yeah we're we're devil hunters and carlock is a real monster and you meet carlock and you're like you seem okay she's like yeah those people are full of shit um and as a part of them just like lying a ton in the confrontation she gets kind of upset right understandably (laughs) um and so the conversation ends and she's like hey so infernal engine to my chest blah 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 radiates anger also reacts with me when i'm angry you need to get like go outside please and you're like Okay, if you need a minute, that's fine. If you just need a minute in a, in a, in a, a room alone. Um, and you go outside, and you just see rolls start popping, right? Just, like, attack rolls just over and over. Because Carlock is just, like, mechanically, her character is just attacking everything in the room. I was like, oh, that's neat. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of neat. She just goes off until there are no more things to smash, and then she calms down. Interesting that more than one character within your party um, has a ticking clock inside them to some degree. What, what better way to motivate you to put up with the player, including if the player is like some weird, like, eldritch serial killer or whatever the fuck your character's deal was, Jen? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, something like that. Well, a lot of people did die in your run. Yeah, to the point where when I ran into Carlock, uh, she wanted nothing to do with me. So I killed her, too. Damn. Okay. Yeah, you make a lot of bad choices. <laughs> Cold. And yet you keep around the fucking little shit lord. Uh, we can talk about that off the air. Um, but yeah, Carlock is cool, but like I, I didn't, I didn't see the depth. Maybe it's there. Maybe I needed to play more. But I didn't. Here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Uh, and and Jen just killed her, so <laughs> definitely <laughs> didn't see the. I mean, I you know see saw the depth of her chest cavity, I guess, but that's not super helpful here. Nope. Yep. Um, I can talk a little bit about uh, Ashlad from Vinland Saga. Sure. Um, I think that. So at the beginning of the show is definitely setting you up to think that Thorfinn, you know, the kid who loses his dad, is going to be the central character. Like, I mean, he's on the cover of the manga, he's on, like, the poster, all that. But then, just, like, as the story continues, you start to realize, as, as in part one, that is, that Ashland is basically the main character of the story. Like, he is the driving force of, like, where the narrative is going, and Thorfinn is basically responding to that, in a way, because Ashlad is the guy who gets Thorfinn killed, or he actually kills him. Yes, I should... Don't know why I was taking the third degree there. Wait, he doesn't kill Thorfinn, he kills the dad. Yes, yes, the dad. Um, sorry, got the names mixed up. Um... And Thorfinn wants to kill him constantly. And so Ashlad is keeping him at an arm's length at all times. But he's like, 
you're useful, come along with me. And maybe if you do good enough at this, like, pillaging and plundering thing that I have going on, you will have a chance to fight me. Like, the first fight that Ashland and Thorfinn have, you know, Thorfinn is just a child and, you know, Ashland beats him easily. But he starts to take a liking to him. And I think the strength of Ashland as a character is one of, he can have this like side of him in which he takes Thorfinn aside. Like they find these old ruins at one point in the story. And he just tells Thorfinn, like, look, I killed your dad like 10 years ago at this point. It's been a long time. Like we're sitting among the ruins of these empires that thought they were going to live forever. You're, you still have your youth. Just go. Right. And of course, you know, Thorfinn's tragedy is that he doesn't do that. Like he, still Mm -hmm. wants to kill him. And then also, Ashlad in that same series can be an absolute bastard. Like, a really vile type of person. Like, at one point, he takes his boys, which they're all pirates, they just, like, indiscriminately slaughter an entire village for their food. And the story is one of, like... You know, not necessarily condemning Ashlan. Like, it still is. It's just kind of presenting it as, like, not neutral, but just sort of, like, this is just who he is. He is a, like, he's just kind of a bastard, but he does have a capacity to care about other people, but that doesn't, one does not necessarily negate the other. And I think Ashlan is just such an interesting character to, like, carry forward the story of Vinland Saga. Hmm. I'm trying to think of the armored. I guess. I guess of the two armored core six characters, I'm more serious about Rusty. Um. So. Ire in armored core six can probably go. Um. Ire is so. How far did either of you get in armored core six? Um. I meant to pick it back up, but I kind of stopped around the area where you get uh, launched using that catapult to the other side of the um, continent or whatever. Okay. I didn't play a lot, but I ha- I do know bits and pieces about like where the like story goes, like especially near the ending, regarding mm-hmm. Rusty. Um. So, Ayer is a character that gets into contact with you fairly early on. You have a... Um... I'm trying to remember exactly the the exact event, but there is a point where, like, a lot of this game is chasing after a thing called the Coral, right? Which is mm-hmm. this special, like, material that only exists on this planet, um, and sometimes sort of flows around, like, 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 bouts of, like, energy, or, right? Like, the way it moves is, is unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, it can migrate and, and stuff. Um, and one time when you are, I believe, going into a Coral mine, um, kind of explodes on you and you get get got get guided out uh by a lady on your radio named Ire, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe it's the Balteus fight. Uh that's not when she Oh yeah, that is yeah. Okay, that's right. Never mind. That's earlier than I thought. But um Yeah. Sorry, just putting it together in my head for a sec. Um yeah, at the bottom of that that um station. Yes. Anyway, um, so 
she's with you for a while, and you start to get a sneaking suspicion that's like, okay, like, I'm not being contacted on the radio. You're like a psychic voice, right? Like, that's what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, yeah, she is part of the coral. Um, and what you learn is, like a coral reef in real life, the way the coral works is it's made of a bunch of living, living organisms. And some of them are psychic, right? Right. And she's just like, is it like she's like part of the coral or like embodies the coral? Uh, she is. She is an individual within the coral. Um, she does not refer to herself as all of the coral. It's, you know, it is a, a alien organism with a different relationship to life and sentience. And it is not fully explored because sometimes it's better to leave some things unsaid. Right. Right. Especially with like how Armored Core 6 told its story very often was like it was the things that are left unsaid that were very important to like for you to decipher. Mm hmm. And it's especially cool with Ayer because she is, you know, she's just sort of the gentle voice in your head who's trying to help you make good decisions. And she offers like help. Um, Which, by the and- way, is a from software tradition at this point. Is it? Well, well, basically just having the soft-spoken helper character that follows you along on your missions and stuff. That's true. That's true. I mean, like, often doesn't follow you along on your missions. Often sits at home and says, bearer of the curse, seek, seek, lest. Um, or good hunter, or things like yeah, that. Yeah, any of that. Um, and I think she is, like, she is with you a lot of the way. And I think there's, a, a like, a part, there are three endings to this game right? Two of them you can only get at first, and then once you've gotten both of those, you unlock the third ending. And one of those two endings you have to get to get to the third, some would say true ending, is the end of the game is like, okay, what do we do about the coral, right? Because the coral is this weird stuff. Companies are endlessly warring over it. They're causing death on unbelievable scale because of it maybe it would be better if there was no coral for them to fight over, right? Mm-hmm. Um, And there is a really heartbreaking quality to the way Iyer tries to push back on that argument by being like, we're people, <laughs> right? Where she's just like, I understand your position and why you would think this. I would like it if you didn't genocide us. Right? And she just... And if you decide to go with destroying the coral for one of those endings, uh, she is the final boss. She has used... You know, because she's just this, like, you know, flowing particles in the air, basically. Uh, she has, like, possessed uh, another armored core. A really sick armored core, if you haven't seen it. I watched someone do that fight. It is kind of sick. Uh, Jen, have you seen it? I have not, no. Okay, let me see if I can get the... Um, here is the uh, close-up. This is the cutscene where it just flies down and lands in front of you, and you're like, oh, you got yourself a suit now, huh? Wow, yeah, that's good. That That's what I expect to see when I hear about like um, some sort of force or artificial intelligence uh, taking over a robot. Mm-hmm. Um... 
<laughs> it's it's also funny because like she has other things that she can do because bosses don't necessarily work by the mechanical limits of you know the normal game and what you can equip right as you'd expect but uh her armored core has basically there's a shoulder weapon in this game called the songbird right mm-hmm. which is a double-barreled grenade launcher and i believe they've done some nerfing but uh, at launch, it was one of the two best weapons in the game. It was just ridiculously good. Um, and she has broken the mechanical limit to equip four songbirds. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Which is just kind of funny. Um, but, yeah, I think she can She can go... You know, I always have a, a fondness for... Uh, characters that don't have a physical form necessarily Mm -hmm. and i think that her performance and the way she is just this like helpful and like mysterious but not because she's like withholding just because there are parts of her you can't understand because she's a different type of life form Mm -hmm. um i think that's all really well done i would however like to keep vesper for rusty um Rusty, your buddy. Yeah, I, I, I'm told the English performance is very good. I'm mostly going by the Japanese performance, which is, is fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. Rusty is part of a, a group called the Vespers, right? Which is like there are two big corporations fighting on the planet over the coral, and they each have their sort of group of like special forces. He is the, well, the Vespers, one of the special forces, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and... You end up working with him a bunch. And one, the way they use him in those missions is always really fun because he's always like he's he's instantly really buddy buddy with you. And it is manipulative, right? Absolutely. But also it does feel sincere because you will have like. You will get in like a boss fight and he's like, shit, I got to go deal with another thing. And he's like, but you don't look like you need my help at all. Right. Yeah. Like, knock him dead buddy and he flies off yeah, or like is... go ahead that's that's like the first like one of the first missions you have with them is that boss fight in which like you're taking on this big tank and then he does exactly as you said like he says like oh you got this buddy and flies off and then like there's missions where he's like he's on his way he's like you know he's narrating you know off and on it's not constant but he's like you know hey buddy I can see you know, there's a lot of stuff. I'm on my way. I have to fight for you. I have to fight through like, you know, maybe 100, 200 guys. So give me a couple minutes. And then he shows up and he helps. Rusty um, is so fucking cool. <laughs> and then you have to fight him. Uh, definitely you have to fight him once, I think. You might. I'm trying. I think there are multiple. Well, anyway, the first time you fight him, it's like you are on your way to an objective based on, I believe, like Ayer's directions, right? Mm-hmm. And he shows up and he's like, buddy, I'm sad to see you here. Uh, we both got directions that the other had gone rogue and we both know those directions are bullshit, right? But like, what are you going to do? And so you have your fight and throughout the whole fight, he is just like constantly like sincerely complimenting you. Like you land a good hit. He was like, damn, that is why you were always the best. And it's just like, it's, <laughs> he's just having a good time with a friend, but not in the way of like some like, like shonen berserker shit. 
it feels like, you know, you and a friend you haven't talked to in a long time, like catching up over Mario Kart. And finally you beat him and he's like, the thing is, buddy, there's a lot that's going on here and you're strong as hell, but you don't seem to have like an ideology and that's not great. And then he leaves. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in another in one of the endings you are on your way to i believe it is the same ending as the ire stuff you are on your way to break everything right um and he shows up and he's like buddy we got to stop doing this <laughs> <laughs> and over the course of the fight he does start to slip but it doesn't show that he's like a more like hateful person underneath it shows how frustrated he is with you for not being more ambitious He's just like, you're fighting him. And he's like, you're so strong. You're so strong. If you, like, thought at all, everything would be perfect. Friend, please. Is that where the line, like, something to do with, like, how long can you fly on borrowed wings come from? Oh, that that's, actually, that's actually, that's earlier on. Um, because mm -hmm. there are a few people that figure out that you have, that you are, uh, you are Raven. Um, except not, right? The first mission is stealing the name Raven from someone else stealing a license. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are, yeah, I don't, I forget who says that exact line, but there are numerous people who figure out and are like, huh, okay, that's interesting. Let's see where this goes. Um, and yeah, ultimately Rusty is like, all right, you were too strong for me to stop you. And, you know, he's, you know, dying and he's just like, I got to tell you, buddy. I'm a little disappointed. And he dies. <laughs> it's just like, damn. Like, the the performance of this character as, like, no matter what side he's on, always sincerely a friend is really remarkable to me. Yeah. And also, yeah. his politics are great. <laughs> he works for the corporation so that he'll give him a, a really cool machine that he can use to kill them with. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's. I know you didn't play the uh, English dub six, but uh, just speaking as someone who played uh, to the point I mentioned earlier, um, pretty much all of the characters uh, are really well performed in English. Uh, Rusty, e even the bits that I saw of Rusty, like uh, on top of the gigantic wall, um, he did a great job in that, and. Uh, yeah, I'd say it's unlike a lot of other From Software games where the performance can feel kind of flat. The characters in this are all performed in a way that feels very grounded while also having fun when fun is, uh, when they have the budget for fun in a particular scene. Mm hmm. Um, I think we can cut Freeran, maybe? Yeah, I I think Freeran is a good character in the show and in the manga. Like, I mean, same story. Mm -hmm. But um, Freeran is like, I like Freeran a lot. I think that, I think that sometimes anime in general has a hard time, like, representing characters that are stoic, right? Mm -hmm. Like... I think it's one of those things where it's like, if you have a character in an anime or a manga who's supposed to be very serious and stoic or something like that, right? Or 
emo- not emotionless. I mean, she's kind of disaffected. Disaffected, yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. Like, but even within that, there's still plenty of, like, moments in the story in which she is clearly, like, she has, you know, things to say and think about and feel. And I think there is a warmth to the character who can at many times in anime are, is depicted as extremely cold, you know, Mm -hmm. like I, I adore that like chapter in the manga where she, you know, tells, um, who's, who's the girl she travels with again? Uh, Fern. Fern. Yeah, where she doesn't tell Fern where she's going. She just says some, makes up an excuse about getting herbs and stuff, which is a pretty funny line. And then it turns out it's like she's getting a birthday present for Fern, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, it's a small, like, gesture. And it's not like, I think it is like a great moment for her. But, um, I don't know. I, I, I think Free Rent is interesting, um, but... It has helped that, like, there's a lot of interesting characters in that manga in general. And I think she's brought down by something that I'm sure if 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 Jen were to, to offer her two cents, she would bring up the thing I'm about to. She is the beacon of the story's, like, weird racist metaphor for demons, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She is the one around it turns. She is the one who says it the most of, like, no, they're not people. They can't think. And it's just like, this isn't good. Mm-hmm. Don't do this. Um, and she's she's the person who spouts it the most, and it it does make me like her less as a character. Um, I think I think like I really like I I'm the one who put the on the list. I really like the Gunbuster characters. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they are top three material, but I do like Noriko and Young Freud like a lot. I- I would definitely um, cut young Freud just because, I mean, like, there's a point in the story where she stops having things to do, and so her arc isn't as developed, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, she's a very fun character where she is this, like, catty, competitive, rich girl, but there is a, like, there is a sincerity to her and a friendliness once you get past the cattiness in a way that's really, like, charming. And she never stops being kind of a twerp. <laughs> But, like, that's also what's good, right? Yeah, like, Young is very funny because, like, you have that, like, there is that moment that, like, just, like, is so funny when they're in the onsen where it's, like, they're friends, like, oh, we're friends now, but my breasts are bigger than yours, so that makes me better. And it's, like, Young, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) And then just, but there is that warmth, too, like, when Noriko goes on the mission that involves time dilation the first one first of many in that show and she comes back late for her birthday party she's not mad about it she like you know noriko ends up missing it by like a couple months because of how time dilation works and recognizes like he's is a big enough of a person to be like no she went through a lot more than me i'm she's not mad about this sort of thing and Uh i think there is like I said, there's a warmth and a cattiness and a bitch too young that is very funny. Um, but halfway through the show, she just stops me like stops being involved. Um, she does get a great line though, like right at the end 
of like in the final episode basically telling Noriko to return um when they're going on the big mission to destroy like the core of like the alien forces at the edge of the galaxy um mm-hmm. which is an affecting scene because she knows that she'll never see Noriko again yeah win or lose doesn't matter too much time dilation yeah I'm we might need to cut James Savage uh, from El Paso elsewhere. I don't think we do. I yeah, I guess I guess he I guess the performance there it, it is one of my favorite performances this year, especially with like there's the one scene, you know what I'm talking about, six where he gets into the specific things that his ex girlfriend slash vampire lord got into. Um mm-hmm. That more or less broke their relationship in half. And uh, just his delivery in recounting it, it's fucking harrowing because it sounds so real. Yeah, I. We yeah I I guess we just to to finish our business I guess we can cut Noriko as well I like I like I, we all like Noriko a lot and I think. I think she's a very good character, but I also think that a lot of what is strong about Noriko is stuff we're honoring in other categories. So it's, I yeah. guess it's okay. Yeah. I do um, like go ahead. what Noriko goes through is a lot. And, but she, you know, like these types of anime protagonists go, comes through it on the other side with a confidence and verve. That is really something. Even when she's like about the breakdown, she finds the strength with her, which is great. Love it. That's mm-hmm. character writing. Mm-hmm. Um, James Savage, yeah, the the performance is really strong. I think the character, like the the writing, is is really amazing, and you just get this like really fantastic picture of like a a a broken guy who feels like there's something he has to do right to end it right, and like. I, it, honestly, I, I think there are lots of other moments in the game that are spectacular, and I don't mean to bring them down. I don't think anything beats for me the opening of the game, where it is the most relatable dialogue I've ever heard from a video game character, right? Um, and also an interesting framing of the position of the player, because James Savage is in the middle of the desert, slumped over his car, just like done, right? And he's explaining, like, I'm in a lot of physical pain. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm going through withdrawal from several drugs I'm addicted to, right? And it's like, I just want to collapse right here. But I have to believe there is a small part of me that is willing to get up and move and it's going to win. And then he looks at the camera, looks directly at the camera. He's like, that's you. As the player, you are the small bit of him that's left that's willing to keep going. Um, that's, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And and the sentence here's to believing uh, when he finishes his monologue. Uh, it's just a very memorable moment. Because he, he does, like he gets up and you hear just this fantastic performance. Just the, just the like, wow, how about that? In the sincerest tone of someone who didn't think it was going to work. It's, I... Looking at this list, there's nobody I wouldn't cut for James Savage. 
Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I was initially more down on him more recently just because I was just thinking back to my time with El Paso Elsewhere, and that's a game that really runs out of steam at the halfway mark, and mm -hmm. it also never really justifies all the combat tools they give you, but uh, I don't really have anything against the character himself or the performance or anything. In fact, I think it's one of the highlights of last year. Um, I never checked the credits, but just having heard him talk, it is uh, Xavier Nelson Jr. doing the voice acting, right? Yes, he's the one who does the voice acting for that. Um, he does the raps in the background during certain stages, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, I mean, like, you listen to it, it's like, it's that guy, right? Because I've heard him talk enough, it's like, this is just that guy, who also, you know, did a lot of the writing. Um, but since I'd never officially seen credits, I didn't want to, you know, speak mm -hmm. out of turn. But yeah, his 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 performance of his own writing is just is just stunning. Yeah, agreed. Um, okay, I think I have an easier cut then. Um, Polar Nightmare from Master Detective Archives Rain Code is really cool as this non-binary character who is just the most competent detective out of this whole group. Like, uh. It's the one the protagonist, Yuma Kokohead, immediately gravitates to just because they are just on their shit. But as a consequence of being on their shit, they also... They're a character who knows what they're worth to a certain degree. And they'll just be like, yeah, I could solve this for you in an hour if you wanted me to. But I'm going to need a few million dollars for you because... From you. Because that's what my price is. And, uh... Yeah, it's kind of funny that uh, they go through that multiple times, um, where they'll just end up fleecing other members of the detective squad who either don't know how to gamble and get taken in immediately, or they just need a lot of help. But uh, yeah, they're a lot of they're a lot of fun to be around. Um, somewhat undermined by the game, like this is a project written by. The Danganronpa guy. I'm blanking on his Kodaka. name. Yes, Kasutaka Kodaka. Mm -hmm. um, and he's kind of gone back and forth on how well he portrays uh, queer people for the most part. And uh, this game, multiple times, like two or three different times, a character will be like, so is Halara a man or a woman? I'm, I'm really confused by this. And they really just play up the joke of like, I... I really want to know what they are, but I don't feel comfortable asking, so I'm just going to keep calling them Halara. And it's not as bad as some of the other queer writing uh, Kadaka has done, but uh, it is one of those moments that just made me go, hmm, every time it came up. That's, yeah. Um, unfortunately, it does not surprise me that Kodaka has written a character only to introduce some shitty elements that sabotages it. Mm-hmm. Weird for him. Yeah. Um. I I would like to keep Zhao if no one else feels strongly about Zhao. I'll give I'll give the case. Um, Zhao is a character from Library Ruina, a game I feel. I I you know I think I I got a lot of cool things out of Library Ruina, and I am mad at the game still for existing the way it does. Mm -hmm. Um. 
because it is just a thoroughly inconsiderate game. Um, but Zhao is sort of the director of a group of like fixers, right? Um, they, you know, take jobs and go out and, you know, pretty much solve problems and kill people and monsters, right? And she is a very like charismatic figure. She's like, un she's really strong. She's sort of like unblinkingly professional and, and like always like, you know, head in the game, never shook up by anything. And she, you know, the, the whole central thing of the library of, of library arena is the library, right? Which is where mm -hmm. people are sort of summoned basically by fate to investigate and then get killed. Um, and her, her lover gets summoned and killed and she's like, okay, um, we have to go figure out what's going on here. And she leads a team and they get beat back. They lose one. Um, but she does confirm that her lover is in there. Like that, like whatever, whatever's left of her, him. Right. Mm -hmm. And she comes back and she's like, listen, I'm pretty sure I'm going to die here. And I'm pretty sure if you come with me, you are going to die too, to like her subordinates. And she's like, I can't bring myself to tell you to go back. If you want to, I won't be mad, but I have this thing I want to do. And I want you to come with me. Right. Like she is not willing to give up on like how she knows she's being selfish and she's doing it anyway. Um, and this sort of becomes her little arc over the course of her her chapter here, and then the fights and the song she gets, is about realizing that, like, you are blinded by emotion, making bad choices, and you are using the fact that people like you kind of to destroy them, and also, like, the fact that you don't, like... Another part of the song is like, she's not happy that she's doing this, but she would do it again. Right. She is like, I am being unbelievably selfish and I guess I'm okay with that. Um, as I get older, as my brain and body increasingly break, I relate more and more with broken people. And Xiao is a really amazing broken person because she's also like kind of the strongest person in the game right and not like stat wise though she's fucking tough and very cool um mm. but also she is one of the like only people in a game about broken people learning how broken they are where she's like yeah i'm broken whatever i'll work on it later right now i have to fucking kill you <laughs> i have something more important to do right now uh, she's fucking incredible. Hmm. Okay. Jen also played this game. If Zhao did not stick out for Jen, we should cut Zhao. I feel like Zhao, um, stuck out, like, in the moment where you're fighting her for the final time and her song is playing. Like, that's just a very memorable moment to me, but, uh, given how long the rest of the game is and, uh, how some of the other characters get more involved arcs. Like, uh, I didn't really gravitate towards her the same way you did. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, we still have two Alan Wake characters on here. If we could get some, at least description of what they're about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Sokka Anderson is one of the two protagonists in Alan Wake 2, the other being obviously Alan Wake, but uh, she's basically an incredibly well-executed character of it, like a police thriller sort, sort of situation. She's an FBI detective coming to this small town and uh, chasing down remnants of uh, what turns into a supernatural situation and uh, doing her best to fight her way through it. Um, the thing that really grounds her and makes her empathetic and compelling is uh, you get a few moments near the beginning where she's calling her daughter out of town and basically just checking in with her. But uh, because of the nature of uh, Bright Falls and Alan Wake's, uh, what Alan Wake has done to it, she's being written more and more into the story. And because it's a horror story, it becomes a situation where suddenly people in town are just talking about her like she's always been a resident here. And it sure is a shame that uh, five to ten years ago, her daughter drowned in a lake. And uh, basically, she gets into a race against time as she is trying to unravel the situation and get Alan to reverse some of this from the location he he's in because as the reality of Bright Falls continues to spread out because of the Dark Place's influence, it's becoming more and more likely that uh, if it keeps up as it does, her daughter will actually be dead. And you get to this situation where even her partner, Alex, and the people who sent her over, even her husband, start talking about how, yeah, your kid died, you need, really need to let it go. And she has to fight both physically and mentally, just insisting on what her reality is and knowing that it is the actual truth. And there is this one really beautiful moment, uh, maybe 50 to 75% of the way through the game, where you run into... Um, the two brothers from, what's the, oh, Old Gods of Asgard. Sure. And, uh, mm -hmm. because everyone else has been sort of recognizing her as a resident, um, when they start talking about it with her, she gets scared, like, oh, they're affected by this just as much as everyone else is, but they go into more and more detail, and turns out that no, she really does have a connection with these two people. And the two brothers instantly become an anchor for her because even as the rest of the town is changing and even as everyone else's memories are changing, she knows that these two are real, these two are family, and these two can help her push through. And, uh... Yeah, I, I think that it's really well done. Um, I do think that of the two remaining Alan Wake 2 characters, she is not the more complex one. The one that's doing something that's on its own. A just as special, if not more special. So I might be okay cutting her uh, and well, keeping... Hmm? Let's, let's hear what we're talking about first. Tell us about Alex. Yeah, okay. what's Alex's deal? So, Alex Casey is essentially two or three characters, depending on how you view Sam Lake himself. 
<laughs> because there, if you played Alan Wake 1, you're familiar with the fact that Alan's big thing was writing Alex Casey novels. And, uh... Oh, shit, right! <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, basically after killing off Alex Casey in one book, he kind of ran out of ideas, which prompted the trip to the lake and caused everything else to happen. Wait a minute! That's Max Payne! I pulled up this wiki, but that's Max Payne! <laughs> yes, it is. Um, so there is the Alex Casey that Alan has written. Um, that is basically this noir um, anti-hero detective cop who ends up getting injured and dying in his books and whatever. That Alex Casey is also within Alan's specific version of the Dark Place, the Nightmare World. Um, and every time Alan is running into him, he's running into situations where he's either killing Alex uh, through a bit of the scene that he has to rewrite to push the story forward, or he just ends up having to kill Alex through struggling between guns and stuff like that. You also get the bit where, during a talk show, <laughs> Sam Lake who is the model for both the Alex Casey one and Alex Casey two, <laughs> um, just is being interviewed and is like, yeah, I'm Sam. I I'm really honored that I got to play this character and stuff like that. But, um, the thing that really makes Alex even more interesting is his version in the real world where he's, an FBI agent who hates the fact that there's a character <laughs> named Alex Casey in these books that uh, <laughs> happens to be a cornball loser. And uh, he has, he's been divorced from his wife for a few years. Uh, he's just very grumbly in the similar way as both Max Payne and Alex Casey are. Um, and also there's a great scene towards the end where he's talking with a, member of a different organization and he finds out that this woman um ended up um divorcing her um wife and he immediately gleams onto that like oh you have an ex-wife too huh i i think we can really get along <laughs> but uh you do get this intense humanity from him too like when alex divorced his wife Saga was there to kind of just keep him from being too much of a brooding, cynical detective just by inviting him to barbecues, family outings, and stuff like that. And there's just this great photo within Saga's mind palace where you get to see... You basically get to see him at a at that barbecue having the time of his life, and you can just get this small line from him where he says, That meant the world to me, Saga. Thank you so much. And the way that the various versions of Alex both chart their own course, but also share so much mentality between the two, between the different versions. And also the same way that the, the late voice actor, whose name I'm forgetting, which is, let me look that up for one moment. It's uh, James McCaffrey. Yes. The way the late James McCaffrey um, voices Alex, it has this specific intense weariness, sadness, but also joy to it in certain parts where, like, 
it just hits you hard when he gets his few emotional moments or when he's just like, he can sell the cheesiest pulp lines just through the strength of his voice alone. So I think he's a pretty special character or a collection of characters. Yeah, that's a very strong argument. Oh, yeah, I think I think we earmarked Alex Casey. Like, yeah. Yeah, I like, think you're right. Um, can we cut Saber? I don't cut dislike Saber. Saber. It just seems like it's Saber just... is. You know, <laughs> Saber, Saber's, Saber exactly... has a like Saber showed up with a one page resume and was like, "Oh wait." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it is a very good Saber, which was a really pleasant surprise because uh, I don't know. It's one of those situations where you hear the name Saber, your brain jumps to the one that left the impression on everyone the first Saber, but. Uh, they haven't, like, I mean, okay, gotcha game aside, they haven't made a bad saber. That's not the case. They've had three sabers, true. and they're all great. Yeah, and this one is great, too, in their own way. Um, the thing that makes them a lot of fun, other than just, like, they come onto the scene immediately ready to use their specific uh, secret technique that uh, would more or less level the entire village, and... Uh, Poriori, who has just become the master of Saber, has to use one of his command seals just to be like, yeah, you're not using that. <laughs> you're not going to use that attack at all, unless I tell you to. Um, they're this really fascinating character that, like, you get them initially in this state of grumpy bloodlust where they're they're just ready to ditch their master and go on the Grail quest themselves, the Waxing Moon Ritual. And, uh, they more or less have to be told by um, Musashi that, yeah, if your master dies, you're going to fade away too, so you better get used to both protecting him and just working working with him. And it leads really well into Saber's other side, which is just... They come from a time that's more or less decades, if not centuries, earlier than this particular period of like Imperial Japan. So they're just over the moon as you're going around the going around the city, going to various stalls, like to the point where they'll suddenly run ahead of you and you'll get a notification to be like, oh, yeah, you got to go rein them in from whatever they're doing at the moment <laughs> or just like go see what they're up to. And it's this interesting situation where both Iori and Iori's sister get really close to Saber in a way that like. A lot of people just write them as, like, well, several of my friends and several fans more or less see them as this interesting sort of situation where they can be both Yaoi and Yuri. <laughs> they both uh, have this intense connection with Yori, and also the sister is quite smitten with them. Yeah, well, the fate fandom do be like that sometimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, the, Saber has this interesting sort of, like, it, it's the sort of gender ambiguity sort of situation, but in a way that, like, it's not doing it in a way that a lot of fiction does, where they're just given this gray, one-piece-fitting clothing or whatever. Um, it's just, like, their particular attitude and just the way that they carry themselves could be either or both. I in terms of, like, 
they're just really good as a non-binary character, I think. At least from what I've played. Hmm. But also, I think the ones that remain have a bit more depth. Yeah, uh, you said we should cut Saga. I didn't do that, so go ahead and cut Saga. Um, as much as I really like Saga, Alex yeah. is like the standout, I think. It feels to me like we should cut Askelad. Yeah, I think so. Ashlad is cool, but I think there's there's a lot of really cool and interesting characters in Vinland Saga. And now we're down to five. We have Temenos from Octopath. We have Rusty from Armored Core 6. We have James from El Paso elsewhere. We have uh, Jeremy from uh, King Oger. We have Alex Casey from Alan Wake 2. I would feel comfortable if we could get one more cut. I feel like we have enough people on here and we have enough strong candidates that I would be good going to... Th I would feel weird leaving two of these characters off. I think going to three nominees is okay by me. I I think I see one of the cuts. Uh, I mean, we can cut Rusty. It's fine. Oh, I, I was not going to say Rusty. Um, okay. I think maybe Temenos, just because neither of us have finished his story. We don't know exactly where it goes. And while that in itself may not be a reason to cut him on any other list, like he's surrounded by characters that... Either one of us, two of us, or all three of us have seen to their conclusion. And uh, from that alone, I, I don't feel comfortable saying that he is better than Rusty. Yeah, okay. I, I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Alright, so top four. Rusty, James, Jeremy, Alex. Um... I feel like it's between James and Alex. As, like, our number one? Yeah. Yeah, of the two, it, it's a really hard thing, because on the one hand, I I love Alex's uh, breadth of different versions and experiences, and just uh, the way that it gets into, like, oh yeah, as much as people love to joke about uh, hard-boiled cops and their ex-wives, there is something... They go the extra mile to, like, make that more of an emotional thing for him and, like, show that he can move beyond that to, to a certain degree. But also, James Savage just feels fucking real in a way that <laughs> no one else on this list particularly does. Yeah. I, I think it's... I mean, I from what I heard, I think Alex might be our winner here. Because it sounds like he is just... Like you said, like he has so much dimensionality to him, and more dimensionality does not make a character better, right? Like you can, there's plenty of like characters that have tons and tons of depth, right? But are like not interesting or engaging. But it sounds like like Alex Casey sounds like a rare case in which here is this character who is immediately you understand, you think they understand their deal, and then you don't, and then you do, and then you don't, but then you really do. <laughs> Well, on the other hand, though, right? Mm -hmm. Alex Casey here is kind of a stand-in for, like, two or three characters. And 
that's fine. That can stay on the list. Is any one of them as strong as James? I would like to hear more about James. I mean, the the James is basically the only character you really talk to the whole game. I mean, you know, there are NPCs who get like one line, and then there's you know, uh, you know, your your girlfriend, Draculina. Um, mm-hmm. but it the game is like flashbacks and James talking to himself. So you know the premise, right? Mm-hmm. So he has come to El Paso to put down his girlfriend who is doing a ritual to end the world. And what you get is a lot of him reflecting on the relationship and whether it was ever any good and what does it mean? Like he is, he's like, I'm a broken kind of like trash person. And he's not like, he is beating himself up, but that's not really his point. Right? He's like, we take it as granted that I suck, and we move on from here. As a person who sucks, what is the worth of, a like, do you get to just do one heroic thing and die, and then you die a hero? Like, how much of what's happened here is my fault? Does it matter? Like, it's just, it's so many such real conversations about, like, the problems we have, our responsibility to them, the things we do to try to make ourselves feel better, the missed opportunities we've had in our lives. He's just like, I, I, you know, there's always the touch of the supernatural and what's going on, but every conversation and every bit of delivery from Salavier Nelson Jr. is of a guy who is just like, not just like deeply realistically depressed, but the kind of thing where you're in your DMs and you're like, let's talk about it. I can help. And they explain the situation and you're just like, wow. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. And you don't have anything for them. It's also an interesting situation where, like, you get to the moment where they do just lay out what caused their relationship to fracture and the trauma that he's been through. But even has, after he gets into that and it's very clear to the player that... Dracula or Draculina is an awful person. There's a part of him still fighting as he's going down, battling with himself, where it's like, well, maybe she was right. Maybe I really wasn't, uh, maybe I really didn't behave the way I was supposed to. Maybe I was a bad boyfriend. And uh, it, it feels very real in a way, because like, in real life, relationships like this, abusive relationships, they don't end as cleanly as, okay, this person was bad, so I'm never going to think about them again, or I'm just going to write themselves, write them off entirely. There's always going to be a part of you inside that's like, well, maybe I was the one who really fucked that up, even mm-hmm. after they did all these things. And uh, Or even like, I mean, yeah, they did bad, and they they were probably worse than me, but like, I fucked up a lot too. And like, and you convince yourself that you fucked up in places you didn't. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's, I really think you should play this game, Kyrie. I just, yeah, just to hear this character. (laughs) I think what you have told me, yeah, James Savage, yeah, is, like, I think he's our number one pick. 
Uh, Jen, are you good with that? Yeah, I'm good with that. Just, uh, like I said before, um, Alex Casey, great character, great performance. And we'll, there's a bit of a sadness to the fact that we're never going to revisit that character in quite the same way again because of James McCaffrey's uh, unfortunate passing away. But uh, I do think of the two performances on here, uh, James Savage is uh, has more... It feels more real to me in a way that really matters. Yeah. 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 And I th I also think that there have been a bunch of, like... I, I want to just note, like... Last time James McCaffrey voiced a character, that character made best character. James McCaffrey was a really incredible, incredible talent, and uh, we are. It's a, it's a, it's, it's really a shame. Mm -hmm. Yep. So our winner is James Savage from El Paso, elsewhere, with runners up Vesper Four Rusty from Armored Core Six Fires of Rubicon, Jeremy Brasieri. Uh, Brassieri, there we go, sorry. Brassieri. A little tricky one. Yeah. Uh, from Osama Sentai King Oger, and Alex Casey from Alan Wake 2. I have some playing to do before we get to Godi, I see. Yeah, <laughs> same. Uh, but we are not at Godi yet. So we will be back with more awards. And until we are, folks, peace out. See ya. Later. Osama Sentai King Oger and Vinland Saga.